0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, championship season is upon us. The NLL hires Mia Gordon. Injuries in the summer ball continue to rack up. The NLL announced its Hall of Fame class for 2016. The U.S. Boxler Nationals were an absolute riot. The MSL finals are getting underway. And Junior can still get it done. All that and more on OTCB. What is up lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio and on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me jenner at gmail.com. Uh, we have a jam-packed show uh, we missed last week because the Victoria Shamrocks had a playoff game. How dare they? Uh, so we have a lot to get into. Let's kind of flow through some things and today is Tuesday and the big news coming out of the National Lacrosse League is the the league launched NLL video production studio. Um, Basically what it is, and for those wondering, no, it's not like a Wayne and Garth basement um, studio in their mom's house. It will actually be a studio set up in the Toronto Rock Athletic Centre in Oakville, um they have all the production equipment that they're going to need. They're going to set up a little studio and it will allow them to, you know, reach out to a lot of teams, but they'll be able to do interviews and profiles and all those sort of things in the studio at the track. Um and it allows them, you know, being in Oakville, it allows them a reach to a lot of players. A lot of players in the National Lacrosse League live in the GTA. Um, Buffalo, Rochester, Greater Toronto Area, that hub, at least this group of people in the production studio will be able to be mobile, um, go out, do some interviews, whether in the studio, um, out on a field somewhere, climbing a mountain, going for a swim, driving across a bridge, who knows? Who knows what they can do? Uh, But this is a step in the right direction. Um, It's moving forward with the idea that we need a better digital platform. Um, We need more content, and when I say we need more content, we need a crap load of more content. Um, You know, we can't keep showing the same two Western Union commercials with Joey Capito and Dane Smith. Um, We need human interest pieces. We need um, fun stories. We need comical pieces. We need in-depth pieces. We need a lot of things. And so hopefully with the launch of the NLL Production Studio, a lot of this will get done. They'll be able to do things team-specific. They'll also be able to do things uh, for corporate. They'll also be able to produce stuff for league-wide use. And so we'll wait to see how that comes about and what the full-scale work of this is. Um, They hope to have it up and running in September, just in time for the NLL Hall of Fame, just in time for the Combine, just in time for the draft. Uh, The other news that came out from the NLL is that they have appointed Mia Gordon as lead reporter, and she will basically also run the studio and be their number one person. Um, I've known Mia, we haven't met personally, um, we haven't really talked a lot, uh, but I first actually became aware of who Mia was during my time on Drafted, as she was uh, someone that had applied to be on that as well, so I'd kind of known who she was. Um, she's an avid tennis player. Uh, she's doing work for CBC, covering the Olympics right now, and we had hoped to have her on uh, today just to talk about what's going on, but um, <coughs> excuse me, we've pushed that back a little bit uh, just to make sure everybody's got all their ducks in a row, uh, and we don't want them, you know, we don't want the league or, or me coming on and, and not really knowing answers to some of the questions that I have, so we're going to wait. Um, would have been awesome to have her on. And, and when I reached out to her, she was super excited to come on the show. Um, but it kind of got put on the back burner. So, in, in a couple weeks, in early September, we hope to have Mia Gordon on this show just to talk about her, her background. Um, she used to do some stuff for the Toronto Rocks show. So, she has um, a little bit of insight into the National Lacrosse League. So, uh, we look forward to having her on. But this is good news for the National Crossing. It's really one of the first big steps forward for Commissioner Nick Sakevich. Um, obviously, you know, joining with the Brownstein Group in Philadelphia was a good move for them just as a from a marketing standpoint. Now they actually have um, a production studio and they have people running this, and I know they're going to be looking for more people to be a part of that, so uh, stay tuned for more. And you can go to the NLL.com website, and they have a list of jobs that are opening for internships and, and other types of jobs. So uh, congratulations to Mia on being named the lead reporter for the NLL production and for the NLL, for bringing this up. So um, stay tuned. There'll be more to come on this as the weeks go on. Uh, The other big-ish news coming from the National Lacrosse League was a trade that uh, was basically dropped on my doorstep um, from somebody within the National Lacrosse League uh, who, um, you know, I'm generally talking to people quite often, and through this conversation... One thing led to another, and they said, oh, hey, by the way, did you know that Andrew is going to be traded? I said, what? No. And they were like, yeah. If it's not done, it's about to be done, but I'm pretty sure it's already done, he said. So he gave me some tidbits and some information, and he said, do what you want with it. Sleuth it out. That's what you do. And that's what I did. Um, so I contacted a few people, and sure enough, uh, Andrew Suter was traded to the Rochester Nighthawks for Derek Searle and two picks. And it kind of caught me by surprise because, you know, everyone knows the value of Suter and what he brings and, and his style of play. But as some GMs have told me, you know, there, there is some concern, and Suter knows this. I asked him about it. He said, how would you not be concerned that he's had three surgeries in five years? I think that's the number. And I said, you know, hey, Suits, just so you know, there are GMs that are worried about your knees. He says, I get that. That's cool. How would you not be? Um, but it looks like Rochester has confidence in Andrew Suter, and Andrew Souter is thrilled to be going to the Rochester Nighthawks. He said, how would you not want to go to an organization that won three straight championships? You'd be stupid not to want to go play for a club like that. What kind of bothers me is the state of this Rochester defense. Um, they were one of the older defenses in the league. Um, you know, They weren't the most athletic that we've seen in the past, uh, but they have youth, and they bring in Suter, and I'm not sure if—I just, just don't know how he fits in. Um, Paul Dawson, Graham Hossick, Scott Self, Mike Manley, Brad Gillies— Uh, Dylan Evans is there. Andrew Suter's now there. Uh, Throw in Brad Self, Mike Kirk, Ian Lord, Joe Sullivan, Scott Campbell, Adam Bomberry, who they just re-signed, Sid Smith, and Joel Matthews. They have a ton of defense back there. And they already have some really good transition guys. And with Suter, you know, he's an incredible at-home defender. He's tough as they come, and he loves to run the floor. But is he going to get time over Scotts or over Brad Self? Is he going to get time over Joel Matthews? Do they turn him into a, just a straight D guy? So it'll be interesting to see how they use him in camp. Um, because they have a lot of depth already on the back end. And a lot of guys that are comfortable in that situation. But a lot of those guys are already in their 30s. And you might think, well, 30s is nothing. Well... In the National Cross League, barring, you know, Dwight Metke and John Grant and John Tavares, most guys aren't playing late into their 30s. So it'll be interesting to see how this move works out for the Rochester Nighthawks. But, you know, good for Andrew Suter. He, he finds another home, a team that he's really looking forward to going to. And great for Derek Searle. Uh, you know, he's one of the up-and-coming young defenders in the National Lacrosse League, and I know there's a lot of hype around him, and it, it's a great move for him. He goes to a team that is still building their core, needing a few more pieces, and is going to fit in really well with the New England Black Wolves. Uh, one other news that came from Rochester uh, today, that um, Gawa Schindler has been named an alternate governor for the team. So uh, congratulations to Gawa. He has a ton of connections out there in Western New York. So um, a lot of NLL experience as well. So Gawa, a member of the Rochester Nighthawks Governors. Let's take a look at the NLL free agency tracker as we check the wire. Some moves made in the National Lacrosse League, Chad Culp and Jay Thornbert signed with the New England Black Wolves uh, two guys that were with the Buffalo Bandits last year. Um, key parts uh, for their roles. Obviously, Jay Thornburg, the draw guy, uh, is a huge possession guy. Uh, but many feel that with the new faceoff rules, it actually hurt Jay's stats last year. Um, but New England doesn't care. They need a faceoff off guys. Um, so they went and got him. Uh, Chad Culp is one of the grittiest grinders uh, out there. Getting on in age is Culpa Mania, but he can still get the job done, and he's having a great season in the MSL, and he just loves to battle, loves to compete, and so two good pickups there for New England. Uh, A lot of teams signing a lot of their free agents and and RFAs and UFAs. Saskatchewan pretty much has their whole team locked up and signed. Uh, They locked up Carlson, Knight, Lowen, Thompson. They qualified Corbeil and Rubish before the deadline and they franchised Aaron Bold. So that's pretty much everything done. Derek Keenan has all his ducks in a row. Now we can just focus on free agents and the draft. Vancouver was busy last week. Uh, Two weeks ago, remember, we listed off all those guys um, that they've signed. They still have some guys that aren't signed, though. Uh, Mitch McMichaels, unsigned. Rory Smith is still unsigned. Uh, Ian Hawksby, Jeff Molesky, Tyler Richards, Cliff Smith. It'll be interesting to see what Doug Locker does. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Jamie Dowick does. Scott Johnson and Brock Sorensen, uh, both coming off injuries. They're unsigned. Colin Doyle is unsigned. And signs point to Doyle probably maybe not coming back this year. Uh, Jeff Gilbert, Bill Greer, Mike Grimes, Patty Merrill, Brandon Miller, all unsigned pat merrill obviously retired he's not going to be signed brandon miller he's just had surgery so we don't know his status if he's going to be coming back next year i talked to colin doyle at the u.s box of nationals and he was kind of on the fence of what he's going to do so we just have to wait and see but there were a lot of movements and you know teams again just getting their ducks in a row signing UFA's, signing rfas going out and trying to find some bodies Uh, The more bodies you can have in camp, the better, creates better competition. And we just have to wait and see what happens at the end of the day. Last point of note in the National Lacrosse League. And that was that they announced the nominees, sorry, the inductees for the 2016 National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. Obviously, John Tavares was in, 100% of the vote. Obviously, Josh Sanderson was in. We're going to get to his percentage of the votes in a minute. And Tracy Kuluski got in as the third member, which I didn't think would happen. And it actually didn't happen, except for a caveat that I actually didn't know existed. And maybe it's because I didn't fully read the press releases sometimes. But here's what happened. I'm going to get to Josh Sanderson in a minute, because it infuriates me. But... I'm so happy for Tracy Kuloski. The guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just as Gavin Prout does, just as Kevin Finneran does, just as uh, Jake Berge and Sean Williams and Casey Powell, Ricky Soule, Reggie Thorpe, all these guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame that are incredible players of past and today that have retired deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Next year, I guarantee you John Grant and Colin Doyle are going to be in the Hall of Fame. They will be first ballot guys next year, and you can pretty much sum it up that they will be on the ballot next year. Now, who else goes in next year? It all depends on who gets on the vote. But again, you have to get 75% of the votes from the voting media. And there is, there's, it's not like the awards where everybody in the media that covers the NLL gets to vote. This is a dignified class of media members that get to vote on the Hall of Fame. And Tracy got 72% of the votes, which, by the NLL's rules, doesn't allow him to get into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. He needs 75%. However, and this is what I didn't actually know, that I knew voting members or current members of the Hall of Fame got to vote. I just thought those votes equaled and went with the media votes. Like it was the media voting and the Hall of Fame committee and the current Hall of Fame members, and all of those votes went into one pile. And if you got 75% of those votes, you got it. It turns out that's not how it works. How it works is that the media gets one vote. And if you get 75% of that, you're in. However, the Hall of Fame committee and current members also get votes, and they're separate. So while Koleski only got 72% of the media vote, he was on 75% of the Hall of Fame votes, so he's in. Now, I am an honored member of this committee. My vote doesn't matter who I voted for. But if my vote doesn't actually count, what's the point? And I know my vote counts because it does. But it's the backup that if someone doesn't actually get in, well, you have a fallback plan, and that's the voting members that are already in the Hall of Fame in the committee. It's just a crazy, crazy way of going about things is that the select and honored media could have a vote. But in essence, it doesn't really matter because if he, like say Klosky got like 30% of the votes from the media, and yet he had 80% of the Hall of Fame votes, he'd get in. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm actually glad they have that. And for this reason, And this is something that I've talked about on the show before that I don't know if some of the members who do vote of the media maybe know who Kevin Finneran was and what he did. Instead of just reading the bio that they put on him, actually saw him play, actually saw Bergie play or Reggie Thorpe or Sean Williams in his early days, Casey Powell when he was in Anaheim with me. if the people don't know the true body of work of some of these guys that are on the ballot and they don't get enough votes, then they can get in by the Hall of Fame members. I like it, but I don't because it kind of sours my vote. However, nothing to take away from Tracy Klusky because, like I said, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, to Josh Sanderson, And I don't know if too many people of the voting media read Stephen Stamp's article that was on Inside the Cross and took it to heart. But how in the entire universe, only 77% of the voting media voted Josh Sanderson in. How is that possible? Seriously. I would like to see... The 23% of the people who voted, I want to see their ballots. I'm not going to be able to see it, I, and I, I don't really want to see it, but I want to know their logic for not putting Josh Sanderson on the ba- On their ballot. What are you thinking when you go and write your three names in for inductees to Hall of Fame, and you write, John DeVaris, check. Two, hmm, question mark. Three, Kulowski, Prout, Finneran. For the record, Prout got like 23% of the votes and Finneran got maybe 29. How are you not one and two just blindly writing Tavares and Sanderson? There shouldn't have been even a question. And yet he was left off 23% of the ballots. And that goes into my point of, the media who's actually voting on these things. How is that possible? It blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. But alas, we'll move on. He's in. Josh Sanderson deserves to be in. And you know what? I bet you he wouldn't even care if he had like 75.1% of the votes. He was getting in. Like, I would, what I would like to see, what's the percentage of current Hall of Fame members in committee votes for Josh Sanderson? Because if that's not 100%, then I really have an issue. But I have a feeling that Tavares and Sanderson would have been 100% of the current Hall of Fame members' votes. Tavares was 100% on the media votes. No-brainer. The, the Josh Sanderson thing just just blows my mind. It it just confounds me that that's what's going on. But alas, we must move on. Um, So that's your NLL update for now. Um, We'll keep you up to date as always as everything goes on. And stick around for my Twitter feed all week long, all day long, 24-7 pretty much um, as we put out more and more information. Uh, Speaking of John Grant Jr., um, we don't delve too often into the Major League Lacrosse. But we do when... Awesome stuff happens. Uh, Two weeks ago, Junior dropped 10 goals. Um, It was the day Casey Powell played his last uh, major league lacrosse game, um, and he was retiring as the all-time leading goal scorer in MLL, and Junior just so happened to score 10 and beat him. And now he's the all-time goal scorer in MLL. He had 10 one more time, he had 10 goals and helped his Ohio machine team advance to the MLL playoffs into the semifinal. And this past weekend, they played and they were in Minnesota for some reason. I'm not sure why. I guess that's where the MLL decided to play one of their semifinal games. Good for them. Actually, both semifinal games, I think, were there. I'm not too sure. I'm not all up to date on MLL stuff. Um, So last week he scores 10. This week, he scored 6. Nobody threw a sock. They should have. But he had 6. 16 goals in 2 games. And his last goal, (laughs) let me tell you. There's video of it on the internet. You can find it on my Twitter page. Um, but his last goal was Oso junior Closing portions of the season. Skip pass to Junior. Hesitation. Straight to the defense, what a play! where the release point is going to be for Junior. He's unbelievable stick skills, the handles, the control. Looks like he's winding up, just whips it with his right hand down low. He's got power, speed, everything dodging through. Uses that strong, powerful body of his. And just he's a nightmare for goalies. Boy, is he ever. Now, obviously, you can't see what I just played. Um, But he got the ball just inside the two-point arc and wound up like he was taking a shot did the old Olay toe drag with one hand got inside the defenders and just put it in his right hand and went low to low with one hand on the stick to score a goal and it's he just constantly does it you know whether he's playing for Peterborough or Denver sorry Colorado or Ohio He, he was in Denver for a while um, playing for the Outlaws, which ironically is who his Ohio machine are playing in the championship game. And the last time Denver was uh, won, Junior was the MVP. So it's kind of a cool little storyline. Um, but Junior s- still gets it done, man. It's It's so awesome to watch him do what he does. The guy takes an absolute pounding. He continually goes to the dirty areas in front of the net gets knocked down, gets back up and and goes out and scores six. Goes back home, goes into his cryogenic chamber, sleeps for like five days, becomes a brand new human being and goes out and does it again. It's just so good to watch. Um, And I'm so happy for the guy. Uh, You know, Junior and I played together in Rochester and uh, we lived in the same building, and we hung out a crap ton um, in my first two years in the league, and I learned so much from him, um, not just about you know preparation and being a professional, but just how to be a wicked lacrosse player and an all-around sweet person. And I don't know how much time Junior has left in this league, in the game of lacrosse. Like If this is his swan song year, calendar year, Or, you know, front-to-back year. You know, they've already retired his jersey with the Peterborough Lakers. Uh, You know, if he wins this year with the Ohio Machine, uh, does he decide to hang him up from the MLL? Is 2017 going to be his last year in the NLL? Like, like, all all signs are kind of pointing towards that. And it's like he's kind of slowly riding off into the sunset, but he's doing it on his own terms. You know, he hasn't done you know, um, a victory tour or, like, one last lap kind of thing that you see guys do, Junior's not about pomp and circumstance. He's not about celebrations. When they retired his jersey in Peterborough a couple weeks ago, uh, you could just kind of tell, you know, thanks, humbled, appreciated, that's awesome, let's get back to playing. And so, you know, he. he it's not like they've been going around and having You know, each team, like they're doing for Big Poppy in the MLB. You know, last time he's at each ballpark, you know, they're giving him trophies and plaques and memorabilia and cool little things. They're not doing that for Junior. I think because Junior hasn't actually said that he's done. But like I said, all signs kind of point towards that. And if next year is his last year in the National Lacrosse League, you know he's going to want to go out on top. You know he wants to go out on top in the MSL, and it's Peterborough Lakers just so happen to be in the MSL finals with their good friends, the Six Nations Chiefs, and that all gets going on Sunday, August 21st, in the first game of the best of seven series. They'll play Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday are the first four games, and then if necessary, they go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Uh, As the Chiefs and Lakers will do battle. And I think it's the third straight year they've both been in the finals. Which is crazy because for the longest time it was Peterborough and Brampton. I think they went like a decade straight in the finals in in MSL. Which is just ludicrous. Like it was the same two teams every year for a decade. And now it's been the same two teams for three years. So um, shout out to June's. Um, congratulations on two back-to-back weekends, and I can't wait to see what you have in store for the MLL final. And hopefully once that is done, he can quickly get his butt up and play a game or two for Peter because they're going to be in tough. Um, Sean Evans hasn't played in a couple games with an undisclosed upper body injury. Uh, Junior hasn't played in the past few games just because he's been busy with everything else. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see the lineup um, for them. Uh, But we do know that two guys are going to be out for Peterborough, and this leads us into my next point of conversation, and that's injuries in Summer League. Uh, I sent out a tweet. uh, What day was it? Game 1, Game 2, Game 3. Probably would have been Saturday um, after I had that conversation um, with one of the NLL GMs uh, because, oh, it was Friday night that I sent out because that was the reason that this GM called me. Um, I sent her a tweet and saying, "How long until the NLL tells Canadian or tells players they can't play Canadian summer lacrosse anymore?" Because in the span of one week, Jesse King, Ian McShane, Doug Langwa, three Victoria Shamrocks, um, Cody Jameson, Jordan Durston, and Rob Hellier have all gone down with knee injuries. Now, many of them are still waiting official MRIs um, and final diagnosis from doctors, but I can tell you this, none of them sound good and none of them look good. And the worst part about it, and now I haven't seen the MSL ones because we all know, even though they've done a few games actually recently, can't say this for matter of factly, but most MSL games aren't broadcast. Shout out to the JVI crew who have been able to get a few games Online and on YouTube for free, but for the majority of those games, you can't see them. So I wasn't able to see what happened to Durston, and Jammer, and Hellyer. However, I was able to see what happened to King, Langwa, and to Ian McShane. All three of them, freak injuries. All three were just guys making lacrosse plays, offensive lacrosse plays. Well, McShane's wasn't really an offensive play Um, but it was three guys who just made a bad plant and I know that pain because that's exactly what happened to me when I did my knee in college you just you think you have solid footing and then the knee just kind of buckles and you're down and it's one of the most excruciating pop pains you'll ever know and you know as soon as it happens Ian McShane did his when he was going to help Corey Small, who was getting into a fight with Brian Safrick in Game 1. Again, just planted, might have slipped a little bit, but went right down on the ground. Doug Langwalk, Game 2 of the Burnaby Victoria Series, went down on a breakaway, had a guy on his back, planted his foot, took a shot, and as soon as he's airborne, you can see he's pulling his leg to his chest because he knows it hurt. Game three, same thing with Jesse King. Clear-cut breakaway. Plants his foot, takes a shot, and as he's scoring, you can see him go and grab his left leg, and he stayed on the ground in pain, and he's not expected to return. Now, McShane's not an NLL guy. Langois not an NLL guy. But the year McShane had It wouldn't have surprised me if an NLL team had invited him to camp this year. But King, Hellier, Jammer, Durston, those are four losses for their respective teams that are big losses. Three lefties and a righty. Rochester, Georgia, Vancouver, Toronto. (laughs) Toronto couldn't handle any more injuries, and unfortunately, they look like they have another one on their hands. Now, if all those guys did indeed need surgery and they had surgery, you know, it's generally a six month window. So August to September, October, November, December, January, February, March. February, March. So you're looking into the second to third, even before they're even close to being able to get back. Like that's fast track. And if all those guys are lost for an entire NLL year, or even half of it, that's so unfortunate. You know, King's one of the best young players in the game. Hellier is a 100-point guy through and through. Jammer, well, we all know what Jammer can do. He's one of the best players in our game today. And Durston actually found himself a role with the Vancouver Stealth As a greasy lefty. And I'm not blaming summer lacrosse. I'm not blaming concrete. I'm not blaming turf. Because these are just freak accidents. And it's a conversation that has to be had at the NLL level. Now, when I put out the tweet, you know, I had a great response from a lot of players. And the common sentiment was, well... Until they start playing guys full year or full salary, guys won't stop playing. And that's absolutely true because the National Lacrosse League doesn't pay guys enough to start taking money out of their pockets during the summer. Now, there are some ways around this. If the National Lacrosse League decides, say, you know, once we start this expansion thing and we start adding, you know, we're at, what, nine teams now? If we get to 16, if we get to 18, 20 teams, like, if we get way up there, you, it's not going to be a weekend lacrosse league anymore. It can't be. You can't have 16 teams playing Fridays and Saturdays. You're going to have to be playing Wednesdays and Thursdays and Sundays and Mondays. Heck, throw in a Tuesday. Like, you're going to have to play a lot more lacrosse through the week. And once that happens, now you have to start paying guys more because that's way too much work for these guys to be missing. You could extend the season and, say, make it uh, like uh, instead of a six-month season, make it a nine-month season, start it in October. And then guys would be like, you know what? I just played nine months of lacrosse. I'm going to take the summer off. But again, you still have to make it worth the player's while and make the salaries supplement enough that guys don't need other sources of income. Guys want to run camps? Great. Guys want to do some side part time work during the summer? Awesome. But if it happens where we extend and expand the season and guys start making double what they're making now, like double vet max. So we're talking 60s here. Until that happens, I don't see the NLL Board of Governors and a new CBA coming up in a few years saying, okay, no more summer ball. Can't do it. And, and honestly, like, if you're an NLL team and all of a sudden you just, like, you know, if if you're John Arlotta in Georgia and you, read, you pick up the paper and it says Swarm Star done for season, and you're like, what the heck? Who? Jesse King hurts himself playing for lacrosse for the Victoria Shamrocks. Well, there goes a potential Rookie of the Year guy. Probably not going to win it, but he's in the running. Um, one of your best lefties on your team, a future of your team, and you don't have him anymore. No, because he didn't get hurt, and because he didn't get hurt, playing for your team. So what do you do? Well, he's not on the hook for it, but he is essentially because now he's down a guy, and he wants to see the best for his player. And unfortunately, like I said, the the National Lacrosse League and the GMs and the Board of Governors aren't in a position right now to tell players that they can't play lacrosse outside of the NLL. But I truly believe that that time is slowly going to happen and going to come. And if it does, and it'll be a bridge that we have to cross when we get there, But what does that do to the Canadian Summer Leagues? Because, you know, the MSL and the WLA are littered with NLL players. I'm not sure the number. But let's go ahead and say it's 60% of the guys in the two leagues are NLL players. And now all of a sudden, you have to take those guys out of the picture. What does it do for senior A lacrosse in Canada? I don't know. It gives a lot more guys opportunities to play that aren't. That's for sure. But it'd be interesting to see what happens um, if and when we ever get there. Because it's unfortunate that all these guys are getting hurt. Like... Like the amount of guys, like I didn't even talk about Josh Fagan. He's day to day, but he hurt his knee in Game Three. Uh, Corey Small or Corey Conway got um, hit from the side, but he ends up falling headfirst into the boards. Um, he didn't play in Game Four. He's day to day, and we just have so many guys getting injured. And here's and I'm not sure if this has any merit in what I'm talking about, but, you know, it's, it's not guys getting gooned. You know, it's not, um, you know, senior B or senior C guys taking liberties uh, on NLL stars. That's not what's happening. Like I said, it's freak injuries how this starts. And I don't know if it can be avoided. Um, I can't remember who it was that said this. But they said, maybe we need to, to find proper footing or proper footwear. Yeah, sure. But is it proper footwear for concrete or is it proper footwear for turf? Because in both East and Western leagues, you play on both. Hell, out here we play on three different surfaces. Turf and Langley, concrete pretty much everywhere else, and then the Parquet Basketball Court in New West and Burnaby. Like, I don't think there's one style of footwear that you can create that protects players from these kind of injuries. You can't. You know, other than making every guy wear knee braces... That's just, imagine imagine an entire league of guys wearing knee braces. Now, here's the other question. And this was asked to me by the guys um, on Lacrosse Sportsnet when I was with them the other day. And it's a very valid point and a discussion that needs to be had. And it's kind of where we're going with this and it'll lead us right into the Minto Cup discussion as that gets underway this week. Are guys playing too much lacrosse? Now, you wouldn't think so because guys have been playing, you know, 10 months of lacrosse for quite some time now. You know, January to September is lacrosse season. January to late May for the NLL, late May to late September if you go all the way, or mid-September if you go all the way, in the Canadian Summer League. That's 10 months. You basically get, you know, or 9 months, I guess. 10 months. You get, you know, October, November, December up, but December you start training camp. So you literally get a 2-month break if you go bell to bell. Throw in the guys who are doing double duty with, you know, MLL and NLL and Canadian Summer Ball. Um, It's a lot of lacrosse, man. And I know these guys are in the gym and they're taking care of themselves and they got rivalists sponsoring them. They have all the supplements and all that stuff. And, and guys are taking better care of themselves than ever before. But are they truly playing too much lacrosse? I, I kind of think they are. And with the constant switching of surfaces, I don't think that helps guys any better. You know, the constant pounding of the knees on concrete and turf and basketball floors takes its toll. And why it leads me into the conversation of the Minto Cup, and like I said, that gets going this weekend, it actually starts Saturday. If you are not lucky enough to be the first place team, if you don't get first place, you only get one day off if you finish second or third. Now, no disrespect to the Calgary Mountaineers. None whatsoever. They fully deserve to be in the Minto Cup, and I hope they do really well. However, logic states that it will finish in some sort of order, Orangeville, Coquitlam, Delta, Calgary. So those three, Orangeville, Delta, Coquitlam, will battle it out for one through three. And truly, I do hope Calgary gets in there somehow. It's never happened, but I hope it does. Now, whoever finishes first will get two days off. They won't play on the 23rd, and they won't play on the 24th. The second and third place teams have to play the semifinal on the 23rd. So, they'll have played the 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. That's four games in four days. Pretty simple, right? Then they would get the 24th off. And then they would have to play game one of the Minto final, which just so happens to be a five-game final, which just so happens to be played in five straight days. For a possibility, if you're the second or third place team, of playing nine games in 10 days. And I know they've used this format before. The last time they had a four-team format. But I believe it went to a best of three, not a best of five. But that, my friends, is an insane amount of lacrosse to be playing. I thought seven games in nine days for Man Cups was tough. 9 and 10 is just stupid. Somebody is going to get hurt. I don't want it to happen, but it's almost an inevitability that somebody is going to get hurt playing that amount of lacrosse in that few days. More importantly, if it does happen to go to game five, what kind of gas are these kids going to have? Like, 19-21, 19 to 21, youthful legs, energy beyond all doubt. But if you're about to play five straight games against the team having played four straight games, by the time it comes to that third period on Monday, August 29th in the third period of game 5, I I just don't even know. It's an incredible schedule. I don't know why they do it this way. I don't know why there aren't more days off. Like, what's the rush? I don't know. Like, why? Why do you have to end before September? Like, why can't this be, you know, a a two-week thing? Give the kids a break. Play games one and game two, take a break. Play three and four, take a break. There's going to be, like, playing this many games is just going to deteriorate the product on the floor. And I don't understand what the rush is. So we'll see. Um, It all gets going on saturday the 20th game one is orangeville and coquitlam game two calgary delta and that's the first day of the minto cup um you can go to uh, the langley event center website um 10 foot sports and entertainment is going to have all the games it's eight bucks per day 55 bucks for the whole tournament um it's u.s dollars for some reason i'm not sure why um but fifty-five bucks to watch, you know, all those games is a pretty sweet deal. Uh, the big man, Jumbo Jake Elliott, will be calling every moment of every game. We might try to sneak him on uh, Tuesday before um, the third, fourth game next week, just to kind of get an idea of what's been happening over there. Uh, but if you can get over to the LEC, please do. Um, it is going to be uh, incredible lacrosse, uh, and again, that starts Saturday. And we could have 10 games in nine days. We will have a new Minto Cup champion, because shout-out to the Oville Northmen um, as they swept away the Six Nations Arrows to represent Ontario. And we haven't done this yet, but absolute shout-out to Greg Rennie, Logan Shust, Neil Doddridge, Marty O'Neill, everybody on that coaching staff, for the Delta Islanders, and all those players on the Islanders um, for becoming the first team to knock off They could quit the Max in like seven years or something like that uh, and not allow them to win the BC Junior title. That that was huge. Um, Delta took game one. They lost game two in overtime uh, and then they won game three in overtime, which was just an incredible scene. Uh, Oddly enough, um, the away team won every game in that best of three series. So. Uh, shout out to Delta, best of luck to Coquitlam, Calgary, Orangeville, and the Islanders in what should be uh, some great, great lacrosse over at the LAC. Uh, currently at the Founders, uh, which is going on back east right now in the Ville, uh, they've played three games so far at the Founders, which is the Junior B National Championships. Um, the first game of the tournament, the Calgary Chill put a whooping on the Saskatchewan SWAT 20-5. Uh, game two, the Green beat up on Team Nova Scotia, 14-4 and uh, the Seneca War Chiefs beat Manitoba Blizzards 12-8 in the third game. and there's one more game to get going that is Orangeville and Coquitlam, and that is a few hours away. It is a prestigious tournament. There are two groups, uh, four in each group, and we've basically listed them all: Coquitlam, Seneca, Orangeville, Manitoba. Saskatchewan, Calgary, uh, Oshawa, and Team Nova Scotia. Uh, You can go just Google Founders Cup 2016. There's a point streak page form, and you can keep up to date on all of that, just like the Minto Cup. Go to the BC Junior A website for all your stats and schedules for the Minto. We haven't quite talked about uh, what's going on out here in BC just because there's been so many other things that I've wanted to get to, but let's quickly touch base uh, on what's going on. In the Western Lacrosse Association in the playoffs, uh, both series are 3-1. Uh, they'll play game fives on Wednesday, tomorrow night. Victoria tried to close out Burnaby on Sunday, but they were injury ravaged and had to bring up uh, two call-ups, junior eight call-ups, Marshall King and Braylon Lum, who played excellent, uh, but just didn't have enough to sweep away the Burnaby Lakers. Uh, so they forced a game five with Victoria up three games to one. New Westminster and Maple Ridge are heading to Game 5 with the Ridge up three games to one. And, you know, they had a... It was 1-1, it was 2-1, and now 3-1. And, sorry, it was 2-2. Sorry, let's try that again. It was 2-0, Maple Ridge. New West won Game 3. Maple Ridge won Game 4. So Game 5, both series... We'll go tomorrow night. 7.45 face-offs for both of them. Playfulscreen.com will have the call. I'll have the call from the queue, And I'm not sure who will have the call from QPA. Uh, last time there in Queens Park, Brad Chaloner made the call instead of Brandon Astle. Um, so you'll just have to tune in and find out who's calling that one. I had something else to say about the WLA. No, I can't think of it. Oh, yeah. Um, we had some suspensions after game one from the Victoria game uh, between Burnaby Lakers. And I thought Ernie Truant was swift in his judgment and I'm not sure he was right on one of them. Um, he suspended Corey small one game for spearing Brian Saffrick in the face or in the face mask. Um, he suspended Brandon, uh Scott Rouse one game for a late headshot to Reese Dutch and he suspended John Harnett one game for a punch to the head of Dane Stevens And it was more of a sucker punch than just a punch. And he probably should have gotten more than one game, but he didn't. And I know a lot of people were up in arms about it, especially when Ernie Truen handed out a three-game suspension to Alexis Bouquet of the New Westminster Salmon Bellies um, for a kicking incident against Braden Natilla uh, in Game 3 of that series. No, sorry, Game 2 of that series. Uh, Natilla... Uh, crashed the net, went into the crease, Uh, Bouquet kind of fell on top of him, dropped the knee off the top rope, and and then laid a couple kicks to the ribs. Now, they weren't vicious kicks. As one player said, it was more like a two-year-old trying to kick a soccer ball. It's kind of accurate. But he kicked them nonetheless, I think a couple times. But I don't think it was any worse than what John Harnett did. And Bouquet got three games. And Harnett only got one. So Bouquet is done until game six if it goes that far. So they're going to have to run with Eric Penny, which they should have been doing, in my opinion, the whole way. And I don't know why Eric Penny wasn't starting game one or game two. Bouquet hasn't won a WLA playoff game. Eric Penny has. He's been the better of the two goalies over the course of two years. And for some reason, Steve Goodwin has opted to go with Eric Penny. And you know, when he came in late in game two, the game was kind of out of reach, but he did an excellent job. and then in game three, it was fantastic. And I questioned, after the way he played, why wasn't he starting the whole series? Well, I don't know. Uh, speaking of injuries, Logan Schuss is out. There's another body that, that is missing from the WLA playoffs. Um, it's an apparent wrist injury. Uh, Someone said they saw him walking around with his wrist heavily bandaged at the game the other night, so uh, we don't really know the extent of that. Uh, But we hope, and I'm sure New West and their fans would love to have him back in the lineup tomorrow night for Game 5. Victoria is hoping Corey Conway will be back. Uh, Josh Fagan could be back, but the likes of Ian McShane, Doug Langlois, and Jesse King returning are slim to none. Finally, finally, I have to talk about the U.S. Boxer Nationals. Uh, as you may recall, two, year, or two years ago, uh, two weekends ago, I went down to San Jose um, with U.S. Box Lacrosse for their Nationals. There was like 60, 70-plus teams uh, playing down at the Silver Creek Sports Complex, which is an incredible, an incredible facility. Um, when I drove up in my Uber, um, first of all, Uber is awesome. I will attest to it, and I hope it comes to here. Sorry if you're a cab driver. If you know a cab driver, no offense, but Uber's wicked. I digress. Uh, When I pulled up, there was, like, four banners on the outside of the buildings that are, like, 30 feet wide and, like, 50 feet long. Like, massive. You know, U.S. Box Nationals, Rude Brand Clothing. Just when you pulled up, you knew something big was going on. And then when I walked in the into the facility, I was blown away. And not just the amount of kids that were all over the floor and playing and the amount of parents that were there and everything else that was going on. They had five fields or floors or surfaces, whatever you want to say. They had two turf fields, and then they had three sport court or roller – hockey floors. And there was games going on all the time. Sure, there was some blowouts. There were some close games. A couple games went to shootouts. Uh, It was phenomenal. And I was so glad that I got to be a part of it and to see what Shaden Santos and Matt Brown and everybody in U.S. Boxla has built. I think they said it was their fifth year of the U.S. Box of Nationals, and it's gotten bigger every year. And it was such a pleasure to see a lot of these guys giving back. Um, like I'm probably going to miss some guys, but uh, Ben uh Jamie Lincoln, Jamie Shuchuk, John Gallant, uh, Matt Brown, Shaden Santos, Colin Doyle, David Mather, Tyler Hevner, um, Roy Colsey, Amy Caines, uh Lewis Ratcliffe. Like, um, like I said, I'm trying to picture every team that I can, but that's just some of the groups that are being led by current or former NLL players. It's incredible. If you're an NLL guy and you want to get involved in something pretty freaking awesome, get involved with the U.S. Boxlet team. Now, I don't know why the NLL aligned itself with U.S. lacrosse to create, you know, more box lacrosse when U.S. Boxla is already getting the job done with current NLL players. It's a weird partnership, and it's something that I wish they wouldn't have done because the work that Santos and Brown and Doyle and everybody is doing is far superior than anything US, bo- or U.S. lacrosse has in place right now. I don't even think they really have anything in place right now. Like They're going to put a junior team in the international indoor junior lacrosse tournament, which used to be like the World Junior Games or whatever it was called, that's going to be held out in Six Nations um, in September. But the work that U.S. Boxler has done is phenomenal. As they say, they are teaching kids big boy box. And it's great to see American kids actually playing true box lacrosse, cross-checks, two-man games, pick-and-rolls, power play, short presses, zone defenses, um, full five-man units, no hybrid rules, like full-on CLA box lacrosse rules. And the kids love it. And the parents love it. And so many kids had such an incredible time in San Jose that I felt like one of the kids. You know, I got a chance to, to grab a microphone and and do a little N one mixtape tour action uh, with the shootout and the all-star game. And I was having so much fun just because the kids were having so much fun. And yeah, there were some blowouts. But that's always going to happen when you have a wide range of teams. You know what? I don't believe, I truly don't believe Canadian teams should be in the U.S. box of nationals because it's a national championship for, um, for the U.S. Chili Willies, the, the Junior Stealth, and the BC Outlaws, I love what they do. I don't think they should be in it. Now, the Stealth are a bit of a different story because they actually started when they were in Everett, so they do have some American kids. But most of their kids are secondary cuts from Team BC's, Bantam, Wee, Novice, Midget Divisions. There isn't one in a novice, but like, and I understand why they're there, and I think it's a necessity for them to be there, but not to play against the American teams. This is how I would do it. I would have the U.S. box the Nationals, just as Shaden has done it for the past five years. And have, you know, like the US Box and Nationals are basically an A 2 B tournament. That's the talent level the kids are at right now. Sure, there's the odd kid that could probably survive an A one um, out here in Canada. But for the most part, because the kids are still fairly new, it's an A two or a B tournament. And so to have, you know, like Chili Willies, and I have, there are five kids on that team that I used to coach uh, when I was coaching Pee Wee, uh, and most of those kids I coached against, the other kids I coached against uh, when I was with the Juan de Fuca Whalers Pee Wee team. It is essentially an A1 All-Star team. And a lot of the Vancouver Stealth teams, Junior Stealth teams, are All-Star teams. A1, A2 All-Star teams. Um, The Outlaws are pretty much like a -a ragamuffin A2 All-Star team. And as much fun as all the Canadian kids had, it kind of took away from it when a Canadian team wins the U.S. box of nationals. If it was the U.S. box invitational, open it up to anybody you want. But if it's the nationals, you know, like Andy, um, not Andy Turner, um, Alex Turner, there's one of the names I forgot. Oh, and Luke Wiles, there was another name I forgot. Um, they were coaching uh, the Penlax All-Star team. And they had to play Chili Willie, this Chili Willie team in the Bantam A final. And Penlax scored first. And it was the first time Chili Willie had been down the entire tournament. The entire tournament they hadn't trailed since the opening minutes of game of the gold medal game. And then they rallied off nine straight and won 9-1. And so Turner jokingly walks up beside me and goes, Oh, I guess we're the best team in America. And I generally said, yeah, you are. And it's true. You know, they were the top American team. It just so happened that a Canadian team won. Uh, in the A Divisions, Canadian teams won everything except for the Lax All-Stars, coached by Doyle. And that was incredible to see because Lacs is one of the, the oldest standing flagship associations in U.S. box along with Denver Elite. And the Denver Elite Group had like eight teams. And they all did really well. Novice A and B, Bantam A and B, Pee Wee A and B, uh, Novice, or sorry, Midget and a high school team. But it just seems so weird to me that in sort of the top flights, only one American team won. So like I said, this is what I would love for Shaden to do if you're going to make it the U.S. Nationals and you're going to invite Canadian teams, put the Canadian teams in their own division and bring like four teams down. Bring four top-level Canadian, if they want to be travel teams or all-star teams, whatever you want, bring them down. But let them play in their own division and let them beat the crap out of each other and play top-level lacrosse and let these American kids see how it's actually done and have a showcase because as much as these kids do learn from playing Canadian teams it's pretty disheartening when you know you're getting teams and they're getting beat 14-1 or getting shut out and just like when the scores are so lopsided it's not very much fun for the kids on the other side of that scoreboard And I know Shaden wants to have Canadian teams down because, like I said, when when Americans play against the Canadians and they get to see what real box lacrosse has done and how it's properly executed, they do learn, right? There are plenty of lessons to be learned in losses. But it's also so disheartening to come all this way and then just get absolutely whacked by a Canadian team and then to have them win the national championship. So, the U.S. Nationals were an incredible success. I can't wait to go back next year. I know they've already opened up registration. So, if you have a team that you want to put in, put them in. It's open to everybody. Novice to, like, high school. But I think for the growing success of the tournament, Canadian teams... Might want to be put in their own division. On the other hand, and we're gonna—I'm gonna get Roy Colsey um, on this show uh, in a couple weeks because he and I were teammates in Anaheim, and we had a great catch-up um, on Saturday night after all was said and done um, on day two of the tournament. If you have an American team, if you are a U.S. box organization or franchise whatever they're you want, a team, sure, team. And you can go up to the Canada Day Tournament in Calgary. If you can get into the Wingrove Tournament like the U.S. Nationals teams have done, if you can go play in the Ontario Lacrosse Festival, go. Get your team in those tournaments. Don't go in the A1s. Go play B. Go play A2. Give your kids a chance not only to have fun, but to succeed and learn. Don't, you know, Hang them out to dry and put them in the A1 division and just get them waxed every time. Lacrosse should be fun. And it's just fortunate for teams that travel, you know, 3,000 miles across the country to go play in the U.S. Nationals and just to get absolutely whooped by a Canadian A1 All Star team. You know, it. I don't know the guy's Twitter handle. I, I don't really need to give him any more exposure. He's not the jackal. Um, but I know there were a lot of people who vented their frustrations with the Chili Willie All Star team being down there. It's unfortunate that that was the case. Because, like I said, I have all the love for that Chili Willie team. I know Bill Bland and I know. Um, everybody that's involved, and and so many of those kids, you know, they just want to go out and play and have some fun. But as I said to them, I said, don't go to the U.S. Nationals. Yeah, San Jose, great, sweet, end-of-the-year road trip. It's not doing you any good. It's not doing your kids any good to go down and just do walkthroughs. They let in nine goals, I think, the whole tournament. Nine. And four of their games, they let in one. And one game they led in five it was the semifinal game. Like, that does nothing for kids' confidence. Take them to the Ontario Lacrosse Festival. That's where they're going to get better. Rant over. Show pretty much done. All right. Huzzah. Um... Next week, we got a big show. Like I said, we're going to try to get Jumbo Elliott on the show to talk about what's going on with the Minto. Uh, I know he's, as soon as the Minto's done, he's hopping on a plane, going right to LeDuc for the Prezi, um, the President's Cup. So we'll talk about that next week as well, uh, as pretty much all the teams are set for that. Uh, and we're going to have a very honored and special guest next week. Truly, I'm humbled to have him on. Um, I will tell you... This really crazy story next week um, about my meeting with him and uh, we'll go for it. But that is another week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar on Twitter. Teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. Send me a shout out. Let me know where you're listening from, who you got in the Minto, who you got in the Founders, who's gonna win the MSL, who's gonna come out victorious out here in the W. In the meantime and in between time, be excellent to each other.